August 25th. And now as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, we'll be looking into the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verses 1 through 24. And before we begin the actual reading, here's what's going on there. 1 Corinthians 16 talks about love for the needy. These instructions concern the offering Paul was taking up from the churches to help the needy believers in Judea. The principles involved may be applied to Christian giving in general. Our giving should be voluntary, in proportion to God's blessing, systematic, and handled honestly. We'll read about love for leaders. We have the privilege of encouraging God's work as we pray for His servants. Even men like Paul, Timothy, and Apollos needed the help and encouragement of God's people. Are you praying for leaders? And we'll read about love for the church. Love, steadfastness, and submission make for a strong church. When you have people who are devoted to the work of the Lord, people who refresh you in the Lord, well, God is going to bless them, and you're going to be blessed in the process. What a joy to be part of a church family that ministers in love. And we'll read about love for Christ. Oh, come, Lord, come is a prayer that reveals Paul's daily anticipation of the return of the Lord. When he made his plans, he included the blessed hope. Do you love him and love his appearing? And with that, let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. August 25th, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 24. Now, about the money being collected for the Christians in Jerusalem, you Corinthians should follow the same procedures I gave to the churches in Galatia. On every Lord's Day, each of you should put aside some amount of money in relation to what you have earned and save it for this offering. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me also to go along, then we can travel together. I am coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia, for I am planning to travel through Macedonia. It could be that I will stay a while with you, perhaps all winter, and then you can send me on my way to the next destination. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while, if the Lord will let me. In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost, for there is a wide-open door for a great work here, and many people are responding. But there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, treat him with respect. He is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anyone despise him. Send him on his way with your blessings when he returns to me. I am looking forward to seeing him soon, along with the other brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I urged him to join the other brothers when they visit you, but he was not willing to come right now. He will be seeing you later, when the time is right. Be on guard. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. 
and everything you do must be done with love. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first to become Christians in Greece, and they are spending their lives in service to other Christians. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to respect them fully and others like them who serve with such real devotion. I am so glad that Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus have come here. They have been making up for the help you weren't here to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me, as they have been to you too. You must give proper honor to all who serve so well. The churches here in the province of Asia greet you heartily in the Lord, along with Aquila and Priscilla, and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. All the brothers and sisters here have asked me to greet you for them. Greet each other in Christian love. Here is my greeting, which I write with my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our Lord, come. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. There are times that I preach because our church needs to hear it. And there are times that I preach because America and the world needs to hear it. Today is the latter. Because just a few days ago, the world media reported that the Pope made the shocking statement, there is no hell. And in eternity, you just disappear. The Vatican was greatly alarmed, and they should be. Theologically, if there is no hell, what did Jesus die on the cross to save us from? If there is no hell, where the ungodly pay for all eternity for their sinful conduct on earth, why is the Bible saturated with the message of the reality of hell from the beginning to the end. I know that a lot of you in this audience are saying, why preach on hell to our enlightened generation? Well, let me tell you that our enlightened generation is turning America into hell on earth. Some of you've already turned white and I haven't even gotten to the text yet. We have mass, mass killings of innocent school children that are transforming our public schools into slaughterhouses. We have kicked God out of our schools. We have mocked the Ten Commandments and it has the phrase, thou shall not kill. We have embraced immorality. One university this coming week is having sex week, encouraging all students to have sex. Think about that. The occult is in the rampage in this country. The principles of anarchy are being taught in our universities. What you're seeing on the television screen is not wholesome democracy. It's conquer and divide. That's Marxism, by the way. This week, George Washington University conducted an event called, quote, 
combat Christian privilege, especially white Christians. This is anarchy in our public schools and universities. This is intended to divide us, not unite us. It is the death of freedom, and it's a roaring prairie fire that's sweeping across this country in our educational centers. Hear me, America must have a moral and spiritual revival, or we're going to have a revolution in the streets of this nation. When the Vice President of the United States is mocked for, by, for his faith in Jesus Christ, by a television talk show host, Joy Bihar. It's open season against Christianity. I encourage every Christian to boycott that television movie, that television show. If there is no hell, why did Moses write in Deuteronomy 32:22, for fire is kindled in God's anger and shall burn in the lowest hell? That's pretty clear. If there is no hell, why did King David say in Psalms 9, 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God? And I assure you, America is working at forgetting God. If God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. If there is no hell, why did Jesus say, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out? Why? Because he said, it is better for you, it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body shall be cast into hell. Your eye offended you would be watching pornography on the television or the magazines that you've got hidden in your mattress at home that you think your wife doesn't know is there. If there is no hell, why did John the Revelator write in chapter 20, verse 13, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire? If there is no hell, why did Jesus give us a story about rich men and Lazarus? This is not a parable. In a parable, you don't give names. This is not a parable. This is about real people who went to a real place, who experienced real suffering. They knew who they were. They knew where they were. There is no such thing as soul sleep where you simply disappear after you die. You are going to live somewhere forever, either in the presence of God or in the place called hell. That's a Bible fact. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 10. We'll read about waiting while experiencing trials at the hands of his enemies, David asked God for help, but the answer did not come immediately. He waited, and then God worked. What a change took place. David went from a pit to a highway, from miry clay to a rock, and from crying to singing. We'll also read about witnessing. When God does a great thing for you, share it with others. God's works and thoughts ought to be part of your daily conversation. Share the good news by what you say and do, by the example of your life. See, God can use your witness to bring others to Himself. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 10, with the choir director, a Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. 
and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be astounded. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud, or in those who worship idols. O oh, Lord my God, you have done many miracles for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. If I try to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, Look, I have come. And this has been written about me in your scroll. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your law is written on my heart. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept this good news hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Proverbs 22, verse 1. Choose a good reputation over great riches, for being held in high esteem is better than having silver or gold. Music